The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Scorpbox. Here are your headlines today. UBS confirms its financial targets as it books a slightly better than expected $279 million net loss in the fourth quarter. We'll be hearing from the CEO Sergio Motti at 8 CET. US equities slip into the red while the two-year yield hits a one-month high after strong services data puts hopes of an early rate cut on the back burner. Well, sentiment shifting, maybe temporarily, but shifting in China as authorities rush to stem a slump in the stock market. Well, this has sent Hong Kong, as you can see, uh, up 3.7%. The Shenzhen up around about 6%. In corporate news, Novartis snapping up cancer treatment firm Amorphosis, expanding its oncology pipeline, whilst Nova Nordisk buys a key manufacturing subcontractor for its lucrative weight loss drug, WeGovi. And the Bank of England's chief economist, Hugh Pill, says it is a question of when, not if, the central bank cuts rates, as data shows UK retail sales growth slowing in the month of January. numbers out this morning from UBS, so busy one on the earnings front. Let's just dive into what we've got so far from the bank. The fourth quarter, 23 profit in $751 million US dollars down. This is losses including $508 million US dollars. So reversal here in that fourth quarter. The numbers are in reverse thanks to the investment in six group along with integration expenses. But for the full year of 23, a profit and that crossed at $29.9 billion, including negative goodwill. Uh, what we've got in terms of the strategic integration, they've completed the first phase, stabilised the franchise. We're talking about Credit Suisse here, obviously. Achieved underlying profitability and initiated the restructure. $77 billion US dollars of net new assets in global wealth management and $77 billion of net new deposits across global wealth management and PNC since the closing of that acquisition in the second quarter of last year. So the company talking about momentum that they're seeing with their clients, they call it strong momentum with their clients, achieved uh, $4 billion or minus $4 billion rather in uh, US dollars. They're talking exit rate gross cost savings. Uh, $4 billion is the number of those cost savings in uh, 23 versus uh, 2022 combined. The strong progress they're seeing in the NCL wind down with the risk-weighted assets down $5.5 billion US dollars of which three quarters from active unwinds maintain their capital strength. CET1 ratio is at 14.5% today, and they've increased by 20 of a 27% increase year over year of their ordinary dividend to 70 uh, cents, 70 US cents per share. The other big points to, to probably pull out here, merger of UBS and Credit Suisse planned to be completed by the end of 20, uh, the second quarter of this year, so that is in line with expectations as we talk about the progress being made here and delivering attractive capital returns. The company planning to reinstate share repurchases after the completion of this merger with up to one billion US dollars in 2024. So the uh, buybacks here seen as quite key. There's a lot in there. And I'll just add in if uh, you can look at the share price as you would. I remember fully what happened on the share price. Uh, 
when this merger happened as well. And they went down to around about 14 Swissy. And since then, it's just been one big rally upwards as well. So I think it's fair to say Sergio Motti drafted in. Ralph Harmer's a perfectly good banker. In fact, a very good banker, very competent banker. But the Swiss establishment to bring this one home wanted Sergio Amotti and that was why we saw the management change at the top just to fill in the gap so they've had a big rally up the market likes what it's seeing it likes the powerhouse that is being created and you and I spoke to Sergio Amotti had a terrific interview actually in Davos one of of my favorites actually of the meeting so they've come a long way Uh, I'll just give you a quick word line on valuation before I just dig into a few more details they trade 18 times forward uh, near the top end of European banks. They trade at one times price to book, certainly at the top end of European banks. So it's a well-priced bank compared with its European peers. Much better price in terms of uh, optimism compared with Unicredit, for instance, who we had a terrific set of numbers this week as well. But there's a couple of things in there as well. Um, the, they, they've highlighted, very nice and put out the selective financials. I've been going through the statement. 105.7 cost-income ratio. Well, clearly that is a, a lot to do with the pairing down of the Credit Suisse arm as well. No banker worth his sort or her sort wants 105.7% uh, cost-income ratio. I expect that to dramatically come down in the coming quarters and years as well. I think that's very interesting. But... Um, Capital uh, ratio and leverage ratio, they're both saying it's well above. So well capitalised as well. But there was one line in there, and I'll I'll just find it. They said, oh, yeah, that's it. We expect to have the merger completed by the second quarter um, for Credit Suisse. Now, that may well be the case, but there's no way that is the end of the story. In fact, they give us all the details in there as well, talking about $13 billion of gross cost reductions by the end of 2026. So ostensibly... The merger fully taken place by the end of the second quarter. But you don't strip out 50% of cumulative exit rate gross cost reductions by the end of 2020. You don't strip out all these huge numbers, and they're doing that by the end of 2024, if you finish the process. So anyone who thinks that the Credit Suisse integration is done, it ain't done. It's got a long, long way to go, which is a good thing, potentially, because if they can carry on stripping out those costs, they can get that cost income ratio down. And on the other side of the ledger as well, talking about the expectations to increase to five trillion plus of wealth management assets by 2028. You can see assets go up, costs go down. They've got a lot of aspirations. There's a lot still to do at this company. Yeah, for me, the interesting part is what clients are doing, because don't yeah. forget there was a crisis of confidence which led to this takeover because investors saw scandal after scandal. At Credit Suisse, not at UBS. At Credit Suisse. And yeah. now UBS has been talking about how it's been stemming that tide of client behaviour over at Credit Suisse. And Amotti's message to us is what he had some progress in the last quarter. Now that clients have entrusted the bank with $77 billion of net new assets since the acquisition, that's the line that's crossed today, one of the questions I had, you may recall that Julius Baer was saying that was benefiting from the problems over at Credit Suisse. We saw in the past week that Julius Baer's had its own issues now in terms of some of its exposures to commercial real estate. Will that work the other direction where money is redirected away from Julius Baer back towards Credit Suisse UBS franchise? Absolutely fascinating as well. Um, if I was a, a rich Swiss client, I'd probably have a few eggs in baskets rather than one or other. You know, dare I say it. But I'm not rich and I'm not Swiss. So there you go. Uh, And on a programming note, don't miss our interview with the CEO of UBS. I'm not bemoaning my lot, by the way. Uh, CEO of UBS, Sergio Motti. Uh, That's Sylvia, actually. I'm mildly jealous, actually. I think it's going to be a fascinating interview. We'll play that one. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll do that in 53 minutes' time. Right, growth in... uh, This is 
interesting data as well. I'm looking forward to see what the next man has to say about this. Growth in the US services sector picked up in January, expanding for the 13th straight month amid a rebound in employment and a boost in new orders. The ISM services PMI rose to 53.4 for the month, topping forecasts and coming in nearly three points better than December. Well, the Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari says that policymakers, well, they can take their time before cutting rates, claiming that the Fed's rate hikes haven't been as restrictive, absolutely, as it currently appears. I think we can all agree with that. Uh, Mr Kashkari wrote in an essay that the neutral rate may have moved higher. You've talked a lot about the neutral rate over the last couple of years. May have moved higher during the post-pandemic recovery, citing the low neutral rate environment that existed before the pandemic. Again, it's hard to disagree with any of this, isn't it? Kashkari argues the result is that the Fed now has a window of breathing space to assess economic data before deciding when to lower rates. Let's take a look at US Treasuries. Uh, we've marched high in recent sessions and you can see currently morning session, we are perched 4.43 on the two year and we've tilted back above that 4% mark in recent sessions too. We're 4.12 in today's trade. Let's get some thoughts on US markets. As you can see, we were in the red across the board. Investors finally list, listening to those messages from central bankers about the, the pace and rate of uh, interest rate cuts this year. And as a result, we dropped seven tenths down the Dow. One of the other features here, too, was uh, just a bit of a pushback of the breadth of the US market story with numbers up from McDonald's. Just what are you getting if you're seeking breadth in US markets? The earnings not matching up to some expectations. That stock also undermining some confidence yesterday. Let's get some comments on the market. Joining us now is Fawaz Chowdhury, who is the head of equities at Fulcrum Asset Management. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I want to pick up on Kashkari's comments because this was one of the changes that we saw in the Fed statement the other week, the mm -hmm. tightening financial conditions. That was just removed out of the statement. And Kashkari is also talking about this as well. What do you make of the prospects for the year ahead for the Fed? Well, I think the data on Friday with the, with the, on jobs was also super interesting. Yesterday's data on the services also, the prices paid was coming in higher. All the data is pointing that U.S. economy is running super hot. <laughs> the labor market is tight. And the Fed is now increasingly pivoting the message from we're about, the, about the cuts which they made in by Waller and Powell over the last few months about the core PC last to three to six months staying within the range to now talking about productivity gains maybe will, be, will offset some of the labor market. Kashkari is also saying maybe the neutral rate is running higher and that we are hence, I think on for Sunday also Chairman Powell said uh, like basically we are not concerned about the labor market and as long as inflation remains low, I think <laughs> as if the data keeps coming hotter, they will have to at some point acknowledge that this may translate into prices and inflation moving as well. But at the moment, they were, they're, they're relaxed about it. They said that, I think he literally said, if jobs weaken, we may cut faster. But if um, jobs remain tight, and uh, that's great, as long as inflation remains low, that, that would imply that, as Mr. Kashkar is also saying, that maybe the neutral rate is running higher. So investments are strong in the U.S. and they're picking up fast. I think some of these investments are actually not rate sensitive, especially AI data centers related, which are powering ahead. And these companies are very uh, cash rich. 
So, yeah, I, mean, I think economy is US economy is super strong. Not at this point, but if the messaging around the neutral rate having to be higher from here, yeah. doesn't that carry connotations that the cost of capital is going to be higher for a lot of companies, that That's we're not true. going to get the rate cuts that some might be anticipating this cycle? Yes, and this, this translates back into equities or longer duration equities. But, and we have been in this cycle, in this point, like summer of last year, economy is running hotter and... Uh, Chairman Powell came with hawkish messages and equities pulled back in August, September, October. Um, and we could run into something like that problem again. But yes, higher rate of higher uh, cost of capital and that will naturally translate into a lower multiple or, and, or, and the equities have a higher multiple. We've discussed the yeah. Magnificent 7 like a month ago. Well, well. Let's, let's pick up on that, Fawaz. Um, yep. Magnificent 5 or 6, I think, five, is your, is your five point, point today. 5.5. <laughs> five. You give it, I know, well, let me just explain what Fawaz is saying, if, and then you'll carry on the detail. He's saying Tesla's out. He's saying Apple gets a half a point at the moment, uh, and the other five get a, get a full point as well. That's what you're saying, isn't that's it? What, that's so tell me about the Magnificent 5.5. There you go. That you've just, that's the first time we've heard this coin. <laughs> Oh, yes, I, I think I, I made that point last time as yeah. well, and I think the numbers are coming through on that as well. It's becoming... Sorry, did you short um, Tesla? Because we, we, we are short Tesla okay. um, and uh, Apple as well, right. uh, but the other, others we are long. And um, it's... Um, uh, we're actually adding <laughs> uh, as we're getting confirmation. So the, for something like NVIDIA, it directly benefits from an AI spend. So if, even if Apple is spending on AI or, or even Tesla or others, NVIDIA is the direct beneficiary in one sense because it's selling the hardware, and so is AMD. Mm. And um, then you have the guys who are selling the AI services, that's App, uh, Microsoft, AWS, Azure. They are selling the services for others to run AI workloads on. Meta runs a lot of AI workloads on Microsoft's OpenAI yeah. and Azure and then Google Cloud Platform. And then there are others who are using it, and Meta has actually done a really great job um, with the- uh, uh, Meta's done a great job of, of dropping its aspirations to do <laughs> purely moonshots with its cash and actually think about the year of efficiency, which is funny enough, turning into another year of efficiency. Can I just very briefly ask you, I, I, I'm, I am this hypothetical rich Swiss client today, um, or not as the case may be. Yeah. Um, I'm not just gonna put my money in the Magnificent Five. Where else, I get it, you like them, valuation's a little bit scary, but they've got a great growth story. Where else is this hypothetical rich Swiss client gonna put his money? What's the next trade? So I believe the AI winners in picks and shovels yep. are actually going, are in some sense a better bet there because all of these large cap tech and more broadly the large mega cap companies in US are going to spend on AI workloads and AI infrastructure. So if you look beyond the magnificent fire, so you exclude even NVIDIA, so then AMD is obviously going to be a beneficiary from this, but in, in US also Micron and uh, Broadcom and uh, Arista Networks and in Europe ASML and et cetera, these guys are going to be winning and in your in Asia, you have like Hynix and TSM. 
So these guys are, and there's a slew of uh, companies, Disco in Japan, they are all winning should, from Cameron's got another question for you, but I should ask, do you own all of those companies? Yeah, that's right. Thank you very much indeed, just get the disclosure out there. <laughs> so they are winning. And also, we mentioned obesity last time. Oh yeah, we and go over it, yeah. So Lily, Lily and Novo, um, I mean, we're for some of our top positions. Well, that's yeah. some great specific calls, so thank you for that. Can I, I pick that. up on Meta a bit more? Because it was the one that investors really just tossed out because they were worried about the meta vision being wrong when AI had really come to the forefront. But what we saw, CapEx is going up by $2 billion to $37 billion. Uh, 350,000 of NVIDIA's uh, hard-to-come-by H100 chips is what uh, Zuckerberg expects to have by the end of the year. So loading up on AI chips, hiring again, and these are not low-cost jobs, these are high-cost technical jobs, and, of course, uh, new uh, class of shareholders, potentially, with the dividend that's going to be uh, pitched at, at the market. What do you like in these numbers specifically? Well, the main, I think the biggest thing about Meta's numbers was reels and engagement taking off. So we'll come to the CapEx point and the cost-cutting point. But I think uh, Meta's story from last year has trans- shifted from what was cost-cutting and ditching some of the spend on reality labs to but the, the existential threat from TikTok and engagement dropping away as they've lost market share. But engagement coming back is the reason Meta is now going. It's revenues inflect, it's engagement, monetization, ad spend. So as you get the eyeballs back, that's what's bringing the market back to Meta. It's cost cutting is great, but actually it's the product itself that they're improving. So, so the existential threat from TikTok is kind of fading as Reels has really taken off. And we can debate whether it was the AI spend that has improved Reels, whether it's the positioning. I would say it's both. They, they've executed better, but also I think they're using AI better. So Meta is probably the first company who's actually showing, demonstrating that they are putting AI workloads to work in terms of getting engagement, improving the product, monetization. So more spend should hopefully get, improve their products further. So. so it's the, one of the first implementers is what we're seeing. Exactly. Um, super. Well, look, I really enjoyed that because not only did we talk about the, the broader, but you gave some great specific calls, which you own or are short of. Uh, when will you close your short on Tesla? Any thoughts? Sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Bill's in trouble. You've got 20 seconds, sir. <laughs> um, I want to see how it pans out. In terms yeah. of valuation, uh, we have to keep that in mind. We're okay. cognizant of valuation. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so nothing is a short forever, okay. obviously. Super. Really interesting, Fawaz. Thank you very much indeed for that. Fawaz Chowdhury, Head of Equities at Fulcrum Asset Management. Thank you, sir. Chinese equities, let's have a look. Uh, They're moving higher amid a flurry of state intervention. In the last few minutes, the country's securities regulator announced new measures in a bid to curb short selling. Guys, it's not the short selling that's the problem. It's the long buying that's the problem. No one wants it. Not the moment, anyway. Anyway, short selling curbs again. Same old, same old problem. No matter who you are, whether you're Chinese, American, Italian, British, I've seen them all try doing it. It doesn't make sense, short selling curbs. It really doesn't. They provide liquidity at the bottom. Don't you get it? No? Okay, fine. Coming hard on the heels of a move to increase ETF purchases by the state regulator. A Bloomberg report that Mr. Xi is set to meet with financial watchdogs. Uh, he's doing the rounds as well. Well, Lin Lin filed this report. 
Well, the measures to try and support China's mainland markets, they are coming through thick and strong. You've got China's securities regulator announcing more restrictions in relation to short selling as well as telling institutional investors like your public and pension funds to invest in more stocks. Also yesterday, the securities regulator announcing more restrictions in terms of certain types of derivatives trading. Also this morning, you've got Central Huijin, a State fund putting out a statement saying that it will expand the scope of its investment in ETFs to try and prop up the mainland markets. Certainly we've seen a number of reports in recent weeks suggesting that there is state-backed buying involved, the so-called national team trying to help the markets out. But uh, analysts that we've been speaking to during Asia programming saying that this is a bit of a signal being sent through by Chinese authorities to investors that uh, they are really, really serious about putting a floor on these markets. But of course, the big question is, how long will this rally last? Because in the past, when we have had these measures coming through, there could be a rally off the back. It could last for a few days before it fizzles. But certainly underscoring just how seriously the leadership is taking this. Another example of that, Bloomberg is reporting that as early as Tuesday evening, the leadership, including President Xi could be briefed about the state of the equity markets by financial regulators. In Singapore, Lin Lin, CNBC Business News. That's a story we'll continue to look at. But coming up on the show, UK retail sales growth slowing in the month of January. That's amid falling demand for larger items. We'll break down the numbers after this break. Plus, We'll look ahead to results then from Nintendo, but the switchmaker expected to post a net profit bounce. And we'll look at the latest report then from chipmaker Infineon with CFO Sven Schneider. Don't miss that first on CNBC interview. It's coming up at 8.10 CT. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Australia's central bank has warned that a further rate hike may be required to tame inflation as it kept rates at a 12-year high of 4.35%. Inflation currently stands well above target at 4.1%. The RBA said its rate policy would depend on the evolving assessment of risk, while Governor Michelle Bullock has said that the central bank needs to be sure it does not have to backtrack on inflation. The OECD is projecting global growth to ease to 2.9% this year, down 20 basis points on 2023, before rebounding next year. However, the policy forum warned that it's too soon to say whether inflationary pressures are under control, citing geopolitical tensions in the Middle East. The OECD's chief economist, Claire Lombardelli, has told CNBC the next few months will be crucial in the fight against inflation. 
We've seen inflation coming down faster than many people, including us, uh, expected. But the job certainly isn't done on inflation. We still see inflation too high. It's still causing pain for people and for, for businesses. Uh, there's still further way to go. Our central projection do expect it to, to come down, including to the in the US to uh, target levels. But uh, but that final, as you say, the final mile is tricky and, uh, and we need to see it returned all the way to targets. Meanwhile, UK retail sales growth slowed in January, according to the British Retail Consortium, with low levels of demand for larger items weighing on retailers. Arabile uh, joins us now with more. Arabile. Yeah, good morning, Steve. I mean, some pretty much asking, was it really just a dry January for retailers, right? That's pretty much what the sentiment feels like, according to the British Retail Consortium then. A question mark that they have at play is, are the higher interest rates beginning to take their toll on consumers? That's pretty much what the data points to. The overall data point then of 1.2% year on year is a drawdown from the 1.7% we saw in December. Of course, spending increasing in that period. The BRC is saying the first two weeks of January, you did actually see a pickup in spending, but that was not sustainable and didn't continue on to the end of the month. So that's why you're only seeing a 1.2% figure. Let's remember that the overall figure for January last year was 4.2%. So it's a big fall off from that number. Food sales did manage to rise 6.3%. But again, if you compare it to January 2023, that figure was at 8%. So consumers still spending down. But the big question mark at play then uh, was the uh, figure for uh, non-food items then. And that's because, as the BRC says, larger purchases such as furniture, household appliances and electricals remained weak. Why is that? Well, consumers perhaps waiting for more favorable conditions in the economy, maybe lower interest rates, perhaps even higher uh, wages overall. So let's continue to take a look at where this graph has been. As I said, are the higher interest rates and the high inflation beginning to take a toll on consumers? You can see on those retail sales uh, numbers overall, it has been going on a general downward trajectory overall. Let's remember that UK consumer confidence is, however, at a two-year high in January. And GFK is saying that that points to some sense of positivity. Even Barclays have actually said that spending looks to be on an upward trajectory and is set to increase more than CPI in the coming months. So while this is down, could it perhaps get better moving into this year? For now, though, retail sales dip, uh, dipping off in January. Steve. Yeah, interesting. Thank you very much indeed for that, Arabile. Well, the Bank of England chief economist Hugh Pill says it's a matter of when not if the central bank cuts rates. Uh, Pill told an online forum that policymakers discussed when they will have seen enough evidence to ease policy, which is pretty much what we did at the presser last week with the governor, uh, despite describing talk around rate cuts now as premature. Pill described lower borrowing costs as a reward to the economy for improved performance on inflation. OK, when we get that reward remains to be seen. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.